0: Welcome to Mind Over Blog Podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Runyon, a mindset-obsessed food blogger and food photographer. You are listening to the only podcast designed to help food bloggers uplevel their mindset to manifest their biggest blogging goals. Welcome to Mind Over Blog. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. I am your host, Lauren Runyon, and today we have a super... Balls episode. I am interviewing Casey Marquis from MediaWise and he performs basically SEO audits for food bloggers. He does other services and, and basically he is everywhere in the blogging scene for food bloggers. If you want to know your crap with SEO and want to take your blog to the next level, you need to be listening to this episode. Casey and I uh, dive into pieces that are super important, specifically for newer and smaller blogs that are working to get to these Mediavine levels and have these big visions for these amazing food blogs. We talk about how it is absolutely a different ballgame than it was even two years ago. Even last year, we talk about how many how many new blogs that come on came onto the scene due to COVID and people not, you know, being out of the house or having jobs and et cetera? We dive into all these pieces. Uh, we talk about internal linking, we talk about how and what and what to do instead of herd mentality and following maybe these bigger blogger mastermind groups that may not really have the right idea and the right concepts to get your blog to the level of success that you're wanting because it's just different than what they have to do now and what they had to do before. So there are so many, like get out a piece of paper (laughs) or get your notes app ready in your phone because you're going to be typing in some things like takeaways that you're going to want to implement right away. And um, let me know, don't forget to share this episode and your favorite piece at Mind Over Blog on Instagram and uh, share with your friends, guys. Everyone needs to be hearing this episode. So, without further ado, let's dive in. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Mind Over Blog. What is up? I have such an exciting episode for you guys today. I have the one, the only, the Food Blog SEO Whisperer, Mr. Casey Markey, on the show. Casey, welcome to the to the podcast.
1: Ah, oh, thanks for having me, Lauren. Wow, that is a great intro. I'm going to need to have you speak to the wife and kids about that. They, uh, they do, they never show as much interest uh, in that as you did now. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty sure that every food blogger out there shows that much interest. Interest, so
1: <laughs>
0: it's an understatement, I'm sure. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. I am so excited to dig into. All of the questions that I have, I have to be honest. It was really hard for me not to make a list of questions just like for myself to, <laughs> to get all of my SEO questions answered. <laughs> I had to be like, okay, is this for me or is this for everybody else? Every time I came up with a question. Well, that but, is
1: no, that is no problem. My uh, <laughs> DMs are always open, so just shoot those over. Happy to, happy to help.
0: You have been, you have been amazing. Every time I'm like, okay, well I need to know this. I'm, I'm on, I have counting down the days until I can get on your list when it opens back up, but you have been amazing. And that's just like one thing. If anybody doesn't know anything about you, I see that you answer questions on the Facebook food blogger central group and just like seriously are so happy to help. And I, that means a lot to me and I know it means a lot to everybody else out there. So a big thank you. Oh, that's
1: That's very kind. Thank you so much.
0: All right. So, probably the most important question of the day is that I have heard in previous podcasts that you are or were a CrossFitter. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I'm a I'm a CrossFitter about twenty uh, percent of the time. Maybe okay. low, probably low sixty, low single digits now with COVID. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're certainly they're still collecting my monthly fee. But yeah, I used to be a, a really rabid CrossFitter years ago, uh, you know, did the games every year, did, uh, had, had really good, uh, Olympic lift totals, real, you know, could swing, string ups together. No longer. I'm probably, <laughs> I'm probably put on conservatively 30, 35 pounds during the COVID. So I'm, I'm actually getting ready to get back on the fitness train. I ordered a, I ordered a rower so that it's going to be, uh, oh. as, I'm sure as you're aware, all the equipment it was impossible to get fitness equipment over the last year because everything was back ordered but uh i ordered a an incredibly overpriced rower that's going to be here in a couple weeks so uh we'll we'll see that and yeah my goal is to get back on the fitness train uh we're taking our son to college he's he got accepted to a a very nice school in colorado i'm here in southern california so we're going to be driving him out there in august and we've got some vacations coming up so i need to definitely get back on the fitness train for sure
0: Oh well, it's like you're practicing the opposite of the eighty twenty rule. You're doing <laughs> so exactly. 20- I feel mean, like I'm implementing something new here. Yeah, so yeah,
1: yeah. Twenty percent of the time, I'm you know eighty percent a CrossFitter. Yeah, that's Ooh, it.
0: I, I like it. So I guess what my my question was the importance of that question is I need to know your Fran time.
1: Oh my goodness! No, you don't need to know that at all. Uh, I'd I, be, know, no, I, I would be know. lucky. I would be lucky to break ten minutes on the Fran time now. <laughs> That would be I think that would be a conservative estimate. If I could break ten minutes. Now, at one time I was able to get something respectable. I mean, I maybe it was around maybe five thirty, maybe five forty, something like that. Nothing nothing elite, but again, I've I've always been a big person. Even when I was uh, what I would consider my optimal crossfitting weight, we're still talking two sixty five, two seventy. So that's a lot of weight to pull up over a bar twenty-one times for pull ups. Right. <laughs> Good times. And
0: then thrusters, you know.
1: Oh, yeah. The thrusters, the thrusters were the best part of that workout for me. It was like <laughs> a throwing, a little, yeah, throwing little weights around. That was fine. But, yeah, the, the pull-ups. Yeah. Oh,
0: great. Good times.
1: Yeah, I'm a double-unders guy. I People are always shocked that, oh, my God, Casey, I cannot believe that you can do double-unders so well. I don't know why that is, but I've always been able to do double-unders. And I'm well over 300 pounds now, and I'm trying to get back down to a good to a good CrossFitting weight and I'm still able to string double unders together like, no problem this, so people are this, like I, I hate you Casey I'm like 165 <laughs> pounds can't do a double under I keep hitting myself in the leg and here you are stringing these together I'm like yeah I don't know what it
0: Yeah, like this body floats like a butterfly
1: <laughs> exactly exactly
0: my husband and I um I was very into crossfit I haven't been for a couple years just mm-hmm. the occasional like workout right. at home but my husband and I met at a CrossFit gym. He was like a trainer there. And one of the first workouts, like, so people made us do together because we were both, I never did the games. I mm-hmm. just didn't like that. He didn't either. So we had were partnered together in a wad, and uh, it was the worst wad ever to be partnered with somebody like <laughs> that. You were like, oh, this person's hot. Uh, it was toast to bar and double unders and something <laughs> else ridiculous. I was so nice. embarrassed the entire oh, time. Nice. All right.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. My wife, um, she used to CrossFit very regularly with me and, uh, she had got kind of a little bit of some shoulder injuries about a year ago and she just, she literally just gave it up. I moved my, she, she just basically moved to running and, uh, ellipticals and, it's amazing how fast you can recover when you're not doing Olympic lifting. That's the problem with CrossFit is that, you know, you, you tend to overdo it and you never allow yourself enough time to recover from injury. So she's, she was always much smarter than I am in that regard, for sure.
0: Yeah. I've been there and done that too. All right. Ready for the SEO stuff?
1: Absolutely. Let's get going. Okay.
0: All right. So I've heard you talk a lot about herd mentality on other mm-hmm. podcasts and If you could, I'm I'm sure other people have heard it. And when you talk about herd mentality, you talk a lot about how these, you know, newer bloggers, I'm going to consider myself a small, obviously I am a smaller (laughs) blogger, kind of look to the bigger bloggers and implement practices. Um, Maybe they're good. Maybe they're bad. If you could talk to us more about the herd mentality, kind of like what you see within the SEO audits that you do, but also kind of give us like a, like for those who are just like starting out. A better strategy than following herd mentality i'd love to hear your thoughts on that
1: right yeah no problem yeah by far herd mentality is the biggest issue i see when we're looking to educate bloggers either those that are just starting out those that have been blogging for a couple of years or even the most experienced bloggers specifically and it's just really tough to kind of push back against a lot of that bad advice out there there's a lot of these mastermind groups out there and they're usually formed by bigger bloggers who are like, oh, you know, I can get you to my level. You just have to do exactly what I'm doing. And they might have gotten to that level through strategies they have absolutely no idea worked for them or strategies that, again, they, these other bloggers have come on and have no chance of duplicating in, in, in you know, any kind of a foreseeable way. But when, what I see a lot is, for example, bloggers who... Uh, They'll just they'll just copy these they'll target keywords on on oh, hey you know here's how I do my keyword research well and they might use a keyword research method that doesn't account for the fact that these other bloggers have much weaker sites or much less authority flowing through their site or that it may not allow them to capture exactly the kind of keywords they'll actually ring for out of the gate with most newer blogs it does take about a year to accumulate authority I mean it can many in many cases it can be seen it's like you yelling into an empty room with your first several dozen posts. Now those posts will do well on social and non-direct channels, but they just won't do very well on Google. And it's just because it, it's a very competitive niche for food blogging. And then we have other practices, like I had a blogger come to me the other day and I was doing an audit and I was like, why do you, why have you taken your H1 and immediately reprinted your H1 below your featured image on the page? What, what are you doing that for? So oh, a bigger blogger told me to do that. I'm like, there's no value to doing that. I need you to be optimizing for users, not Google. You're basically just repeating. You're putting an unnecessary keyword-rich H2 for your heading there on the page. There's no value in doing that. In matter of fact, that uh, with how things have been going with Google, we could conceivably and easily be over-optimizing by doing little things like that, you know. And then just you know talking about how they put their posts together. I remember when I came on the scene years ago, people were stunned that you weren't supposed to put your Pinterest description, and your alt text. Like, well, why are you doing this? Well, because i was following this bigger blogger and that's what she does with all of her alt text. I'm like, you realize that this is an accessibility violation. You realize that that's not the point of alt text. Alt text exists to describe the image to someone who cannot see it. All you've done there is make it harder for Google to you know, not only pull your images out for image search, but also you've really made a very poor experience for anyone accessing your site with a visual disability. And so that was a very, uh, it was kind of a big light bulb moment. And I remember I was on the stage at everything food conference when I did that. And I couldn't, I could just hear the collective gasp by everyone mm-hmm. in the audience when we talked about that because it was complete news to them at the time. They had no idea that that wasn't what you're supposed to do. And, you know, other little things like I, I was auditing a site the other day and I asked the blogger why they were linking every one of their images to the post itself. Usually when you insert an image into a post, you choose none for the link, because we don't necessarily need to provide a link to something that doesn't go anywhere. Sometimes when people will insert an image into a post, usually what'll happen is the link to the media file. And so that results in an unnecessary link for the user and also for Google. And there's no reason to have that link there, because what happens when you see a link on a page, you do click on it. So if if I'm going over the images and I see that the image is clickable, usually people will click on it and then it just pops up a larger version of the image and there's no value there for users or google and you could also slightly uh waste the flow of link equity through your site so that's one of the things that we don't want to do when we're inserting images into a page and i asked the woman I'm like why are you including these links well i just you know I, i was told by a bigger blogger that i should have all of my links uh for every image linked to the post page and i'm like did did they give you any reasoning for that no (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like well we, we don't need to do that. Little things like <laughs> well, that we're gonna stop doing that right now <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna stop doing that you know and just you know it, it, it goes on and on like one of the big one was headings uh, headings when we put together a post we always want to use headings correctly it's just like we're in college and writing an essay you know we have our, our big heading for a paper that's our h1 and then we have subheadings and those are usually h2s and what I was seeing a lot of is that these people were just using these H2s to uh, stuff with keywords or in many cases, they were taking entire sentences or stances of content and wrapping them in heading tags. And I'm like, where did you pick this up? Oh, you know, I was just at this conference and this bigger blogger, you know, she told me that we should take our teaser text at the top and wrap it in an H2 tag. And I'm like, why? Oh, because Google likes it. I'm like, no, Google doesn't like that. <laughs> and, and here's a citation where Google says, hey, you, you should be using headings for what they're for, which are titles. Is, are you telling me that this, you're communicating that this is a title? And I said, now, imagine that you're a blogger and you're, you're writing this article and someone is trying to access this with a screen reader. They'll actually jump down to those headings first and they'll have to read that whole heading and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm reading a whole paragraph that's wrapped in a heading tag. That's not what I need to. That's not, that's not great for me as a user and it certainly is not great for someone, again, with a visual disability. So I see a lot of that and, and it's it's very common. And again, I don't fault the user for that. They don't know what they don't know, but that's really why we don't blindly follow larger bloggers. Many cases they have built-in um, benefits that you don't have. Maybe they have uh, many years of earned authority. Maybe they have a, a huge social uh, backing or following that overcomes these incredibly poor on-page practices or maybe they've accumulated hundreds if not thousands of extra linking root domains which make it easier for the content to rank even though that it might not be as optimized on a somatic basis as Google would want to see and, and it's it's tough and that's why again I think the audits are so enlightening to bloggers because it goes over existing best practices and I'm literally just quoting here's what Google says here's what Google said here's what Google says and oh by the way here's what Google says
0: there is so much good stuff in there. <laughs> a couple old craps, I think I even <laughs> need to, you know. So it's funny that you said there's so many things that you mentioned, but one of the things about the alt text, uh, that's like not even, you mentioned it being at the, I know it was like four years ago that you did that yeah. conference. And mm-hmm. that's still something that's going around because oh, when yeah. you said it, I did a Pinterest course that, and that's what told me to do it. And then I'm like, oh, you know what? I never went back and fixed any of those images that I did that to. Prior to getting like something that actually allows me to put in the Pinterest description,
1: yeah, yeah, you <laughs> so certainly you Yeah, you definitely don't need to do that. You should be using something like a Tasty Pins or right. some kind of a, another plugin that actually has a pin Pacific field that you can fill out. Uh, Pinterest is usually pretty good about this now. They they didn't used to be until they became a publicly traded company and realized that oh, we really have to firm up our resources specifically. Uh, and now they say, you know, usually if you if you put your – usually if you – for the for the pen field, uh, they, they're they looking for the description field first or the pen description field first. And if they can't find that, they'll look at the title, and then only after that would they be looking at something like an alt text to use. So, you know, it, it's always best to, if you want to optimize for Pinterest, and I really do believe you should, you should be using a, you know, a plugin like TastyPens, or you should be using mm-hmm. something like Grow – which used to be SEO, social pug, or even social warfare. So you can upgrade and use those specific fields devoted to Pinterest descriptions.
0: And so you mentioned that one of the reasons that I wanted to start this podcast, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's several reasons it's heavily mindset related, but also because I just, I don't feel like there's hardly, I mean, I don't know that there is a relevant course that has been made like (laughs) They're all based off of bloggers that have succeeded prior to the last two years. And I feel like, I mean, if you started a blog prior to two years ago, it's not the same game. And no, really no. bringing, I mean, like, not even, nothing is the same. Pinterest isn't the same. None of it is relevant to how they acquired success. And so I think it's important for the people that are wanting to start a food blog in this highly saturated niche. That they go about it a different way and know that they have to go about it a different way. Mm-hmm. And, and I believe that really SEO is like it's gotta be if it's well, the 80-20 rule, it's gotta be the 80 versus the 20. Do well it's just it's,
1: it's very dynamic. Uh, I mean when I tell people like, Oh, Casey, where do I go for education? Well, start by typing in the SEO starter kit, which is uh Google's published guide on on SEO. It's it's pretty detailed. It covers the basics for most people and Start there. Talk look at what Google's looking for with quality content. Look at why breadcrumbs and, and post and publish dates are so important. You know, look at all that information there specifically to start and, and then branch out from there. You know, some of the courses are pretty good. I, I I know that they try to update them. I I've had some mixed, you know, people say, Well, do you have a recommended course that you recommend? I'm like, and I I really don't, but you've heard them all. You know, there's a productive blogging course. You've heard of the sticky SEO course you've heard of. Uh, I think ha- hashtag Jeff has a course and they, all those courses have gotten better. They're usually very introductory. They're very simplistic. I would, I believe, I hope so anyway, that they're, they're updating those courses regularly, but the course by themselves, honestly are never going to have a, the personalized attention that an audit has, or, you know, allows you to adjust based upon best practice. I, I, my audits are dynamic. I think that's why they're so popular is that they're ever changing based upon new patents that we're finally able to read or based upon the most recent Google algorithmic updates or based upon the fact that Google continues to update structured data guidelines on almost a daily or weekly basis. We have to keep all of that, uh, you know, in front of mind. Uh, The thing I like most about SEO is it's, it's, I am never not doing anything but studying. I mean, I, I'm, you're, we were talking when we got on the phone today about how this is a weekend that we're having this podcast on, and and I'm fortunate because uh, I I don't have a lot of stuff scheduled, which is good because I have a reading list that I try to get through every day. Many times I'll spend at least two three hours a day trying to keep up with best practices, going in and reviewing what's going on in the forums, going in and talking to colleagues who have dozens if not hundreds of sites where they're doing testing and and experiments to see what's working and what's not or or listening to the weekly podcast that Google and John Mueller provide for webmaster hangouts i do all that work so you as the client don't have to so that we can kind of see what's going on when we when we have the audit specifically
0: and i'm really glad that you brought that up yeah. on the audit being a better source of not just information, but like to really nail down how to correctly implement SEO practices, because I don't think, and I know I haven't had my audit, but I, you know, talking to people who have had their audit, when someone asks them, you know, they ask, is it worth it? Like, I don't think that people understand the benefit of having the audit. Maybe they think of it as like a I don't know, like a checklist. Like, oh mm-hmm. yep, yeah, pass yeah. fail, pass fail, and that's not it. I really like that you said that it's dynamic dynamic mm-hmm. and that you're implementing practices that are up to date. It's like having a one-to-one mentor, basically. It's not just an audit. It's like a mentorship <laughs> almost.
1: Right. Yeah. And that and it's a little different for me. I mean, my audit is just not like a lot of the audit audit, a lot of the other audits out there. As you kind of hit the nail on the head, it's not a checklist audit. It's not a tool checklist. I have a checklist that I use, sure, but I'm looking at the audit. When I go into the site, every site has unique and different issues totally relevant to their own site. Now, if they're on a Feast theme, then I know there's certain things that I'm looking for. If they're on a Divi theme, I know there's certain things I'm looking for. If if they're on Trellis, I, I was very fortunate to offer uh, improvement to do a little troubleshooting on their on their themes you know, back in 2020. So I kind of know what I'm looking for there. And we have to bring that advice and all the tools and all the, the feedback and into, you know, into the real world situation of that one blog at that one moment in time. And I think that's what sets it apart.
0: And when, when can someone have a audit with you? Like, when is the best time? Is it from the beginning? Can they have an audit with no posts or do they need 20 posts? Or when is the best time for them to try and get an audit with you so that they're still laying the right foundation, but also that you have information to look at?
1: And that's a good question. And I would usually, I usually tell people that, you know, they should probably have about 75 posts before I really they even consider an audit, probably be about six months, six months to a year, you know, provide a good content base. And then we have plenty of information on the site that we can audit. Uh, it, it just depends. But yeah, if someone didn't have at least that kind of a, a, a kind of a set base of information, I'll just send them a whole checklist of resources to review and that'll help them considerably. I just okay. have to go, hey, here's a whole list of of webinars that I've done in conjunction with Top Hat Rank, or here's some interviews I've done with Food Blogger Pro. Uh, these will help you considerably as you as you build up the authority and content necessary to support the demands of an audit in the future.
0: Okay, perfect. There's been so much stuff, good stuff that I want to keep trying to like go back to, but also it's like branching off to other things that I want to make sure we talk about. But going mm-hmm. back to something that you said where Uh, people that are looking to these bigger bloggers and they're seeing them rank and maybe they're not familiar with keyword research and all of the other things that they need to do to be able to rank. Um, You said that, you know, a bigger blogger could be ranking because of basically their authority, like the backlinks that they have and the the authority that they have surrounding that subject, not necessarily because they have SEO best SEO practices. Can someone who and it may just be depending on the keywords still because of the saturation. But can someone with a lower authority, in your opinion, outrank someone with the higher authority with better SEO practices
1: no, based absolutely. on what you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when you hear about, oh my God, I had this auto case and my traffic increased like this, this, or, or you see some of these other stories like years ago, people like Sugar Spun Run or the Salty Marshmallow or uh, Recipe Tin Eats or many of these other many, many sites I've worked with. They increased their traffic uh, because they did all of the little things. They did, they dialed in their keyword research. We fixed all their technical issues. They improved how they were putting their recipe posts together. They didn't just worry about the on-page factors they also did things like building up their eat their expertise their authoritativeness their trustworthiness all that goes hand in hand when we talk about seo again it's really a marathon not a sprint it's all about the little things and i might send when we have an audit even the mini audit it's 15 to 18 pages worth of recommendations that they're going to receive and the more of those recommendations they're able to implement and the faster they can do those implement those recommendations the better they're going to do all the big sites that you even you gave me a list when we first got on the call they started as little sites now of course it's easier for them to rank well based upon the fact that they have in many cases thousands or tens of thousands of linking root domains that they've accumulated because their content has increased in quality so attractively that they're just pulling in links right and left um and that's just you know it's something that's hard for bloggers to understand is that maybe you only have 300 linking root domains whereas the average site that i audit might have 1100 well it doesn't mean that even though you don't have as many incoming root linking root domains or maybe you're not as strong that you can't rank for a very high powerful keyword phrase because to google it really is bottom line quality but you just might not necessarily be number one we might be able to get you into the top three or maybe in the top five but, it, you know, it's going to be hard for you to up, unseat someone who is dramatically larger than you, all things being equal.
0: And since we keep talking about bigger bloggers, do you think, and and so I try to, some, you know, as a food blogger who is trying to grow mm-hmm. and the importance of mindset being very important to me, it's hard not to get into a lack mentality. But do you think that food blogs starting today can eventually, in time, get to the length or the like, uh, I don't know, seniority and authority of blogs like uh, Recipe 10 Eats or Pinch of Yum. Is that still a possibility? Or like in my brain, I don't know the words to use to explain this. Like it's almost like a fixed interest. Do, do they keep growing? And then we're still growing, but everyone's growing at the same rate. <laughs> so everyone keeps rising. Like a, the tide just keeps rising everyone up.
1: Well, I think we have to also understand that the the food lifestyle and do it yourself niche now is a completely different beast than it was just two to four years ago. I, there is literally, I would say conservatively about two hundred and fifty to three hundred percent more food blogs now than there was just three years ago. And of course, everyone being stuck at home during the uh, the, the COVID uh, pandemic, I would probably say that there was more new blogs lost in twenty launched in twenty twenty for food lifestyle niche than in any previous year ever, not even remotely close because everyone had extra time. They were stuck at home. They were like, you know what, I've, I've, I have I've got the time now. Maybe I'm gonna go ahead and finally, you know, pull the trigger on that new blog I wanted to launch. I, I've been seeing a ton of those, a lot of these bloggers doing that and and that's fine, but it's just substantially more competitive now. Uh, a similar scenario, uh, which would be related to this would be the the concept of web stories. I know you're familiar with web stories. Google launched uh, Web Stories uh, about, you know, to 2019, but they really they ramped up in October of 2020 when they introduced a carousel specifically devoted to Web Stories. Well, at that time, it was the wild, wild west. There was not a lot of people using Web Stories. So the bloggers who got in and started doing Web Stories in November and December and January, they had very good success. Literally, in most cases, all of their Web Stories were picked up by Google. Put in these web stories, and they were able to garner a very significant amount of traffic, even if the traffic was short-lived and died down quickly. That is a completely different scenario now. Now, not only are all of your web stories not going to be picked up by Google, but there's probably a minimum of 400 to 600% more web stories now than there was just in January because everyone is now trying to do them, and because of that, there's a logjam. There's so much quality content out there that even if you have the best web story, you're not guaranteed to get picked up in the in the carousel. And so that's going to limit the growth of your traffic considerably. And it's the same thing with food blogs. There's only so much traffic that can be had when you're all competing for those top 10 search results. And that's just something that new bloggers have to understand. If you're entering now, it has never been more competitive uh, to build a blog long term. And that's why making sure that you make the correct decisions initially like are you using a quality host have you invested in have you invested in a quality theme one that's supported one that is built for speed you know we've got the core web vitals going those are going to become part of a larger ranking algorithm called the page experience algorithm which goes live in may and that's just one of many changes that google is pushing out many unannounced that are going to be happening uh, over the next several years that it's just going to make it harder and harder for bloggers to compete effectively uh, and to kind of get above the crowd so to speak.
0: Mhm. Okay. All right. <laughs> Process that answer <laughs> for a second. Okay, so one more thing before moving on based on the conversation that we were having re- like surrounding herd mentality. Mm-hmm. One of the, I just want to get this answered by you because I get this I have been getting this question a lot and I know that it must be traveling. And it's not necessarily a negative thing. It's not something that if people are doing it, it's uh it's it's most certainly a good user experience in my opinion. It's just not something for SEO. So one of the things that I keep getting asked is if it's necessary to have, I don't know if you've seen them in the food blogs where they have the shot of the ingredients and then someone's gone into like Canva and they've labeled each ingredient with like a word. So it'll say, if it's a picture of a smoothie on all the ingredients, they've gone into Canva and they've labeled bananas, milk, you know, so it's completely labeled and it's embedded into the image basically and so I keep getting is this something I should be doing for SEO is this important do I need to have this like and I my explanation and I would like yours is that it's a great user experience when people are visual they can easily see that picture and see what is in the recipe but from an SEO standpoint your alt text is going to be explaining that it's an ingredient shot of the recipe not necessarily Google can't read your image other than what you're typing in anything else you'd like to add to that (laughs)
1: Well, I'd like to take full full credit for that trend because I have been recommending <laughs> that for at least 18 to 24 months. I started to see it about two years ago, and I'm like, oh, but that, that is nice. And so what happened is one of the things that I think sets me apart from a lot of SEOs and, and I think the audit itself from a lot of the other products out there is that it's no bullshit. I don't – this isn't because I think this is going to work even though I do. It's because I'm conducting usually ongoing focus groups. Every month, I use uh, usertesting.com, usertesting.com, and other sites to do focus groups where I will have blind audiences all over the United States answer questions for me that are related to food blogging. I don't know if that's news to you, but it certainly is news to a lot of people. And so I'll ask them, "Hey, have you been noticing these?" I'll, I'll give them very specific questions. You know, when you're looking at a recipe post, what is it that that pulls your eye to the recipe post the most, or uh, if you're walking through a store, what do you find most useful when you're looking at a recipe on a on a phone? Or I'll even put leading questions like, okay, you, what do you think about including a, a labeled photo of the ingredients in the post? Is that something that would be helpful for you as you were going through the shopping, as you as you're going through the, sh- you know, whatever the store with the phone, with the recipe on your phone? And I I take all that data, and I add the findings to the audits, and that's what my recommendations come from. And I also have bloggers do this themselves most bloggers should be doing what we call surveys twice a year. We usually have a survey at the beginning of the year in the first quarter of 2021 right now. And we would want to have another survey right before the, uh, the big holiday season. Uh, so maybe probably around October, a little bit before Thanksgiving where we ask very similar questions because we tend to have different audiences at those points in time on our site. And I take that data and I have them take the data, and that's how we determine what we're gonna be doing with regards to the checklist when we put these blog posts together. And I could just tell you from personal experience, the bloggers who have taken this checklist that I recommend in the audits, and that includes labeled ingredient shots, tend to do very better. They get a lot of compliments. Oh my gosh, your your recipe post is just so highest meets needs, or it's so much easier for me to, to make this recipe based upon the information you've provided. And, Little things like that. So I think that a a labeled photo of the ingredients and then right below that where we actually explain some of the ingredients, I think this is the difference. Even though we have a recipe post with a lot of ingredients, doesn't mean that we're going to explain all of those ingredients individually in the post. That's absolutely not what I recommend, actually. That's literally what the recipe card is for. If you want to use the recipe card to to list all of your ingredients at that time and you can use your notes to expand upon your ingredients a little bit, feel free. But in the post itself, I tend to just say, okay, here's the visual overlay of the ingredients that you need. And then below that, this is where you're going to show your expertise by saying, okay, here is a couple notes. Like if someone was making a stuffed French toast recipe that has strawberries and oil and, um, various other ingredients and it shows the eggs and uh, a mix is there and the cinnamon and the spices they might not necessarily talk about the eggs or the spices or the strawberries or even the oil but they might talk about things like a honey you know if you're going to use a sweetener we don't want it to overshadow the maple syrup so we would talk about that and then maybe the next one would be we always want to make sure that we use uh the bread, there's a very specific kind of bread, you know, maybe you want to use stale bread works best for French toast. A lot of people say that. So maybe we would talk a little bit about the bread in that regard. And, and, you know, and then we would, that's what we pull out specifically because that's, you're always thinking about when you're putting the post together, what does the user need to know to make this recipe perfectly the first time? And so that doesn't require them. That doesn't require you to hold, to do a whole treatise on the spices in French toast as an example. So that's where we're talking about highest meets needs. And I know a lot of bloggers are like, I don't want to do that. It's too much work. Totally get it. I just want you to know that if you want to stand out in an extremely competitive niche of food blogging, that only helps you making sure that you've dialed in that presentation template.
0: And now you're going to need to come up with another thing because we're all going to start doing that. And (laughs) to come up with another way for us to stand out now, Casey.
1: Yeah. And that's fine. I and, you know everyone does it a little differently. Some people use a collage. Some people use a, a straight photo. Uh, there's no difference there. I get this question all the time. Is there a, you know, I, I also recommend step-by-step photos whenever we can. Some people will do individual photos in the recipe post. Others will do a uh, individual collages. Others will do side-by-side photos. And The answer is, hey, Casey, is there one that's better than the others? And the answer is no, there is not. They'll all work. You just have to decide what works best for you or what your users want to do. Ad companies tend to be against collages because they want you to have these incredibly longer posts so they can stuff them with ads. So don't fall into that trap. So you're gonna find that if you send in a note to an ad company and they're like, hey, what are some recommendations? I can literally guarantee that one of them is gonna be, don't use collages because why would we want you to have a collage of four photos when I can have you put individual photos so that we can stuff more ads? I see that all the time. And just don't fall for stuff like that. I always want you to optimize for the user and I want you to make things as attractive as they can be and collages tend to do that very well.
0: And since we were kind of talking about alt text and now we're talking about the um, like step by step images, what's and every time I do it I'm like, eh, I don't know if this is like a good user experience or for somebody who may be on a reader, what would be the best thing for you to put in the alt text? Like are you are you listing out what that step is? Like mix uh, butter with sugar? Or are you saying more if you've of what got, you're saying? If, Yeah,
1: if you've got a photo and the photo shows it's a glass bowl with eggs eggs, butter, and flour mixed in. That's what you would say. This okay. is a glass bowl with eggs, flour, and butter mixed in. So
0: you're still explaining what you would see in the image, not what that step is. That's, I guess, my question to clarify. You're not saying this is step two, where you mix creamier flour and you know whatever. You're still saying what the alt text is designed for, which is to explain to someone who may not be able to see the picture what they're actually seeing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Seeing. You just, you just describe the image and that's also why they have photo captions. If you feel that you would like more context, you could put right below that photo. You could put step two, blah, 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 mixing this, this and this. You could do that or you could just spell out the step in the you know, above the photo. When I think people get confused. The screen reader is reading everything. So the screen reader is reading the text above the photo and then it goes right down and reads the alt text and the image. So it's very easy to use. For those of you on the call who are really confused by this, I really urge you to <laughs> install a screen reader. Go ahead and download JAWS. JAWS is the most common screen reader. The other one is called NVIDIA. Uh, either one is fine, but if you download and install JAWS, you can actually play around with that and actually see what users see when they navigate your site. Uh, go ahead and install a screen reader. Play around with it. See what See what you, what is your experience that you're presenting to those who have visual disabilities? Cause it might be mind blowing to you.
0: Mm, that's a really good idea. And so since we're really kind of on this user experience talk, you know, I have heard you talk about user experience when, and I think it's clear for other people when they get ads on their site, like how to, how, you know, to have a better user experience when you have ads, but can we talk about what's important for like smaller blogs or blogs starting out to have for user experience before they get the ads. Things like, you know, the image, like you're saying, having that ingredient with the pictures like labeled, that's a really good user experience, or having things like a jump to recipe button. Can we dig into some of the things that are really important for user experience prior to having ads?
1: Absolutely. And it is going to be the same whether or not you have ads or don't have ads in many cases. The number one thing that you want to understand is that this is a business. I know a lot of you on the call are like, well, I'm starting that as a hobby. If your hobby is eventually to monetize, you really should be thinking, what can I do right at the beginning as I launch my site to to best set up myself for success? And the number one thing you can do is invest in quality hosting. So if you're on this call and you're on Bluehost, I'm sorry, that's not quality (laughs) hosting. Get off. Uh, if 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 you have limited funds, go over to Big Scoots and go ahead and sign up for their shared hosting. Even their shared hosting is faster than shared hosting at a site ground or a Big Scoots or a HostGator or, or I'm sorry at a, or a Bluehost or a HostGator. Or some of these other sites get on the shared hosting there, and then the minute you can afford the thirty five dollar a month managed hosting, jump up to that because the difference is going to be dramatic. And with page experience, with the page experience going going live in in May, mm-hmm. and the fact that mobile page speed has been a ranking factor since 2018, this is something that you really should be investing in. That's the very first thing is we want to make sure that your site is as lean and mean and as fast as possible. So clearly number one is having a quality server, quality hosting, getting that dialed in. Number two is the theme that you're going to use. If you're using a theme that does not have quality support, if you're using a free theme, if you're using a theme that hasn't been updated in a long time, or if you're using a theme that, you know, you're just, you pop it into a paid speed insights testing tool. And even without ads, you're red on everything. And maybe you're less than 40 or 50. That's a concern because Mm -hmm. themes should be inherently fast. Things like uh, a Genesis theme. Most Genesis themes are pretty good. Uh, Probably my top recommendation there, of course, is the, the feast child themes by feast design. Uh, They're fantastic. And out of the box, they're incredibly fast. You also, if you wanted to use something like Divi, that's fine, I guess, but, it's not going to be as fast, and it's the same thing if you're using you know like Zoom, WP Zoom, another option that I see a lot of, or if you're using something like Solo Pine, those are going to be okay, but they're not as fast. You have to invest in optimization to make those work, or you can use something like trellis, you know, I don't have anything against trellis. trellis is a very fast theme, but it's also very blah. It's very bland and unless you spend some time to kind of get some personalization on that you're just not gonna be happy with the long-term. Doesn't look that great on mobile. It is very fast out of the gate. You can do some customization, but it's something that you really wanna have to invest some money into doing. Yeah, and so we've got that, we've got the hosting, we've got the theme. Then we wanna make sure that we're optimizing our site with quality things like a catching plugin. So WP Rocket, by far the best catching plugin out there. We wanna go ahead and install that, get that set up so we can consolidate and combine things like CSS and JavaScript files so we can automatically lazy load our our images just by making sure that we've done that. I mean, if you literally just get quality hosting and install WP Rocket and just do the settings that come with it out of the box, and then of course, make sure you go over and click on lazy loading for your images and any embeds, you're gonna be surprised at how well you do out of the gate. So those three things right there. And then of course, image optimization, making sure that we've installed a plugin like Short pixel or Imagify and gone in and optimized our images as much as we can, I tend to recommend lossy optimization, not glossy or lossless, because you're not going to get as big a return. I know a lot of bloggers like, oh, my photography is so important. I, I Lossy, I see a loss of detail. I'll be honest with you, we're our own worst critics. And if you're using a really high retina display, like most of you are when you're doing your images, that's not going to carry over to your mobile phones, where we're, which is where 90% of your traffic is going to come from. So as long as you use something like Lossy and, and you're loading in your images at about 1,200 pixels wide and those are being sized down to fit the display, you're good to go. And that's really kind of the best things that you can do out of the gate to kind of get you on the, uh, you know, give you a little bit of a competitive boost right away.
0: And I know at one point I think, in. I, Back and forth with Skylar, with uh-huh. help for <laughs> my theme, he said um, that anything over seventy for a page speed, you don't get an award for for being over seventy. Do you think that's going to be accurate coming in May? Like, or as if I have seventy five and somebody else has eighty five? I know there's other ranking factors that will go into this update, or but.
1: Well, I just want you to understand, and this is important for everyone on the call, that score is meaningless. You shouldn't be concentrating on the score at all. You should be concentrating on the core web vitals, which are right down below. So mm-hmm. there's three core web vitals on that PageSpeed insights report that we want to focus on. The first one is called first input delay. And that is how fast you are, you know, kind of before the kind of the first request appears on the page, so to speak. And that. It's, it's basically all server related and anything under 100 milliseconds is going to get you on the green and you're going to pass. So as long as you're investing in a quality host, that's a gimme. I mean, I very seldom see people failing first input delay. Usually we're able to get 30 to 40 milliseconds, no problem. So that's number one is making sure that you've got a good quality host and that you're optimizing for that. And then, of course, the second core web vital there is largest contentful paint. How long does it take before really the largest image or or a piece of content pops in on the screen and that needs to be about 2.5 seconds or faster. And this is where it gets tricky because if you're not using a catching plugin, if you're not doing your image optimization, if you're, you know, if you, if you haven't optimized your theme, that's, it's going to be hard to get that LCP mm. metric down to about 2.5 seconds. And then the final one of course is um, cumulative layout shift or CLS. And I know a lot of bloggers have struggled that it doesn't matter if you're running Divi or WP Zoom or Solo Pine or or some of these other themes you, you will tend to have to do some optimization to get that CLS work and that means you know of course making sure that you've uploaded a, a, a logo that's correctly sized that you that you have a mobile friendly menu that you know you if you're using things like uh, breadcrumbs or uh, Published and last updated dates or author links that those are all set set up correctly at the top. Or, you know, it, that's probably the biggest concern I've had from a lot of bloggers is that this CLS metric, it is tough to troubleshoot, especially if you have a custom theme. So, you want to really make sure that if you're on the call right now and you're getting a site built, the very first que- the very next email for you on Monday should be, hey, just really want to make sure that you're optimizing this theme with with core web vitals and front of mind. Because they should be doing testing as they're going through and making sure that the CLS metric is in the green and everything else is working well. And that's the biggest complaint I see is when I audit these sites is the vast majority of issues I have are those who've spent tens of thousands of dollars on custom themes. And they can't go back and fix these things without spending quite a bit more. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and not to have a little plug for Skylar over there, but I, and I've mentioned this in my first podcast with Home Cook Roots, which you know, Nicolette, I I think it's so important, not that, uh, you know, design themes aren't amazing to look at, but having someone like Skylar and Feast Designs, like that actually they do so much work behind the scenes and like they're supportive just like you are with your audits and they are like involved with the food blog scene. I feel like that's so important for anyone who may be on the fence of like getting a new, new theme or thinking about it, but like picking someone who is going to be updating and really be on top of the trends because I I mean, I don't know Skylar, but he seems, he seems to care about how the food blog is going to work.
1: No, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, that's a, the testament to the fact that, they have literally become the most popular theme in this niche. It's not even close these days, and the reason that is is because he understood these would be issues. So if you install, if you buy the Feast plugin and you install the Modern Mobile Menu and you follow the tutorials, uh, 99 out of 100 times you are not going to have any CLS issues. That's just how they've they've approached this. And uh, the only CLS issues we're seeing now on Feast themes are literally ad related. And so we're waiting for AthRive Thrive and Mediavine to push out more fixes before the May deadline. Uh, and, you know, they're still working on it. But, yeah, you, you cannot discount that. It's uh, he has very good customer service. It's funny because I'll get the occasional email from someone like, well, I haven't been impressed. I blah, blah, blah. And I'm <laughs> like, well, here's the tutorial. What were you not able to do? I'm like, oh, I can't follow the tutorial. I'm like, what do you want me to say? This <laughs> here's is a tutorial the here. Here's, the video? here's, here's <laughs> the video. You know, and it, it's fine. You can't. Uh, like I said, I, I, I applaud the fact that there are people that really like, that will actually listen to what I have to say. But trust me, I have plenty of people who think that I'm a joke, who think I'm a fraud, who never listen to anything I say. And we can't, we just have to continue to move on. We can't do anything mm-hmm. about those people. And it's just like with these feast themes. If, you're, if you want someone to make a, to make a invested interest in you, someone who's provided a theme out there that is going to solve a lot of these technical issues. For those of you who are non-technical, consider that. Because you asked me, like, how does these smaller bloggers, like I said, continue to compete or set themselves up for success? We talked about some issues, but probably the most important thing is this is a business. You need to run it like a business, which means investing in the best tools, investing in the best support. I understand that, well, my blog's not making any money. I can't invest in that. Well, I get it, but you should really not even think about starting a blog until you've got some kind of a budget or some kind of something that you can use to build up the site. So that I mean, you know, so that we can get that money back in a year or two years. And that's investing in blog support. That's investing in it on That's investing in the best plugins and and themes and resources we can when we can.
0: And that's probably a really big thing that people don't realize that that is different from two years ago, three years ago, definitely 10 years ago, you could start like a free blog on whatever yeah. <laughs> and it would have taken off. And it's, you just can't do that. No, I, yeah. I really want to get in. I don't want to respect mm-hmm. your time and I want to get into two more things, but since we're still on the theme, can you talk about, cause I don't know why I just know that they shouldn't, the difference between getting onto like the two different WordPress, wordpress.org and wordpress.com. Because I know so many people who have started on the com or whichever is the wrong one. And then they have to switch and they don't understand why they shouldn't do that in the first place.
1: Well, the wordpress.com is you going directly with automatic is you going directly through WordPress. And if you go directly that route, number one, we've uh, we've immediately started blogging with one hand tied behind our back because we can't use all plugins. And we don't have as much control over the coding or the pl- or even the page speed. I can't tell you how many times I've started an it with someone. I'm like, wow, this is a really strange setup. Are you hosting with .com? Oh, yeah, I'm hosting with .com. I'm like, well, because you're hosting with .com, I, we can't use this plugin, or we can't do this, or we can't make these changes. You are at a significant disadvantage. And so whenever possible, we want to use self-hosted WordPress whenever we can because that gives us 100% full control over our stack. We have full control over hosting. We have full control over... Uh, um, our, our caching setup. We have full control over it. There's various labels of caching that we need to have. We have kind of the page level, we've got the site level, we've got these host levels, and we want to have full control over those caching uh, parameters whenever we can, and that's a weakness. We can't do that on .com. It's also why I don't recommend things like Wix or some of these other self-hosted you know, the page builders, whether it's Squarespace, Wix, or these others, because we do not have full control over the technical aspect. and When we're talking about making both short-term and long-term gains to set you up for success, technical SEO is a huge part of it. We need to be able to have full control over page speed. We need to have full control over things like a robots file. We need to have full control over the HD access file if necessary. How do we approach redirects? What's happening at the server? And that's the kind of things that are significantly muted if you're using something like .com, if you're using something like a WordPress.com or you're on Squarespace or Wix or the like, they their, their argument is, well, we take care of that stuff for you so that you don't have to. But the problem is, is that you can't fine tune it and you have to rely on them getting it right all the time. And I can tell you from experience, that's never the case.
0: Okay. So to dumb that down for anyone who's... <laughs> just now clicked so wordpress.com is basically like they're your host as well as mm-hmm. your, yeah, your where you do your blogging and then for anyone who hasn't gotten into like ht access and all of that stuff like if you were to do it on a different one like uh i don't know whatever the the ones that you, i use nexus so i don't know the other better ones than that you can actually get into those files and manipulate those yourself so just to clarify that for anyone who may not understand
1: right and there's plenty of there's plenty of articles on there um, I mean like I said if you I I also don't think as a matter of fact I think the biggest one is I don't think you can monetize your site if you're on .com.
0: I was trying to look that up that was the one that I that stood out to me and I I think that it's not it's definitely not as good as being able to monetize on your own and yeah absolutely I don't
1: think that we can I don't think that if you're on a .com, you can even use can't use She Media, Media Vine, You can't use any of those, as far as I know. And you also again can't like I think we already covered that. You you also can't remove WordPress.com's own ads or branding from your site. You have limited space on your drive. There's lots of other reasons. So right. I would definitely not consider that. It's just not worth the change. I mean, just, right. just buy the theme. Buy buy the theme, invest in, in a hosting for a year if you can. I, I get it. Everyone has to start out somewhere. If you if you have to start out for your first year running Bluehost, Look, I'm, I don't think it's a great idea, but if you feel that you have to do it and you can only afford that, you know, four or five bucks a month initially, great. But that has to be the very first thing that you change when you are starting to build in traffic. You have to upgrade, you have to invest in faster hosting because it is it is a page ranking factor. It is a page speed has been a ranking factor for a while. And of course this page experience algorithm in May, is gonna make it so much more important when we talk about user experience, that's a lot of that has to do with page speed presenting your content and as fast and a most reliable way as possible to the largest number of people.
0: All right. So I want to spend the last bit of our time talking about internal linking because I feel like it's something that's really important. That's just not, I mean, I kind of knew it was important, but I feel like it's something bigger than what other bloggers and myself probably think. Can you talk about internal linking why it's important, and places that you should be doing internal linking besides just like within your blog post?
1: Sure. So when we set up a post, when we set up a page, a regular page, there's various areas on a page. We have the in content, we have the, the main content, and then we have what's called kind of the modular content, which is content on the sidebar, content on the footer. All of those content places have links. Well, the best links, the links that Google gives highest value to are the in-content links, the links within the content, within the mainframe of the page. Then we have links that are on the sidebar and then we have links on the footer. Those are still valuable, but they're just not as valuable. We want to have all those links working for us whenever we can. So when we talk about internal linking, internal linking is one of those things where, I'm not kidding, if you just increase your internal linking, traffic usually does go up. Because internal linking is a strong signal to Google on where the best content is. We want to make sure that we're linking to our best content over and over again. We want to make sure that there's nothing on our site that isn't linked specifically. We call that orphan content. I, I know that there's been a lot of issues with Yoast uh, and sometimes the orphan content filter works and sometimes it doesn't. I personally think that if, as long as you're upgraded past uh, 19.1, 0.5 or something like that, You shouldn't be having too many issues with the orphan content filter that Yoast offers. And it is something that is only available in their premium plugin, but it is also why I recommend the premium plugin is because when it does work, it works incredibly well. It'll scan your entire site and it'll tell you when you don't have these in content links, when you don't have these main links to another post. So, you know, I had an audit the other day and she had a thousand posts and 647 of them were not linked from anything else on their site. And I am like, hey, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Here's the good news. We're going to be able to make some very big traffic gains for you in the next six months. Here's the bad news. You're going to have to start going in and interlinking to this content more readily as as you go through the content on it. And you're going to go in and you're going to start linking you know, here's you got four margarita recipes here and here's a margarita these three margarita recipes aren't linked from anything else. We need to interlink these and we also need to do a supplemental search here and find other dishes that would be appropriate. We're going to link from those to these margarita recipes and it's a big deal. That's what we do with internal linking. We want to really make sure that we do that. Now, if you don't want to upgrade or uh, use Yoast Premium, there are other ways for you to do to do an internal linking analysis. I it usually involves getting an audit so that someone like me can run an internal linking report for you with something like hrefs or SEMrush or Sitebulb or Moz or dozens of other tools that usually I and others have experience with. You can also go to SEMrush and, and run a report there. Uh, you can, they have an internal, it's a it's an orphan content filter built in as well. It tells you here are the pages that don't have links to it, that'll help you. Uh, and. We just go, we, that's what we do. We focus on that. We send links to pages whenever we can. And it makes it easier for not only the flow of link equity through your site, but it also makes it easier for Google to find an index and algorithmically rescore your best content. So we always want to have that internal links. We can never link. You can never link internally enough in many cases. So we want to continue to do that. And so
0: you just kind of, other places that could, could link, internally would be something maybe like their category pages
1: yeah we link from the category pages we link to category pages whenever we a lot of bloggers make the mistake of not optimizing their category pages when we when we have a category page we we want to have text above the fold maybe a couple paragraphs where we tell the user hey welcome to my breakfast category page uh here's you're gonna this is a great page for quick breakfasts or more detailed brunches with friends and family and here's a link here here and here to my best breakfast and brunch recipes. And then we might go ahead and as we go through our site and we're looking at our breakfast recipes, we all, we might pop in a link to our breakfast brunch category from that post so that we can have a tangential two-way relationship between those pages whenever we can.
0: Okay. This has been so good. And I could literally, hopefully you're going to come back on the show because I have so many more questions and it's been such great content. Yeah. Thank you for being here today.
1: Oh, I really appreciate you having me. I would just add one more thing to the internal linking is that I see uh, this trend and it's a very bad trend where a lot of bloggers are removing their sidebars. And I just want you all on the call to understand that is a very, very poor decision. Sidebars are very, very important for internal linking. Very important. I can't tell you how many times a blogger has removed a sidebar and immediately had ranking drops. And they're like, I don't understand what happened. Well, I do. You removed site-wide signals that Google was using to evaluate and crawl your best content. And I always get the question like, well, why is the sidebar so important if we don't see it on mobile? Well, we do see it on mobile because the majority of sites are running responsive themes, which means that the mobile, the sidebar is there. It's just been moved to the bottom of the page. So has those links, those links are still there. We always want to optimize that sidebar as much as we can. We might not garner a lot of clicks to that sidebar, uh, but it's going to be very important for internal linking. That's where we want to highlight what is called just-in-time content. Maybe that's content that, for right now, it's Easter. So a lot of bloggers have correctly put Easter-specific recipes on their sidebar because that's a a just-in-time signal to Google that, hey, Easter's coming up, and this is their appropriate content for Easter because of the changes in search behavior, people are searching for this content anyway, it's going to naturally rise up a little bit in the search results because you've given a good reinforcement signal on the sidebar. And we want to continue to do that whenever we can. And you also might have five or six recipes that you know are just incredible. Maybe they're your top recipes. They've been your top recipes for a long time. We want to link to those continuously too. And we usually do that on the sidebar. So definitely don't take away that sidebar. And I would really question the legitimacy or even the competence of someone who would argue that, yeah, you'll be just fine without your sidebar because my experience and the fact that we've done, I've been seeing this and I've done so many thousands of audits where this has been a disaster shows that that is definitely not the case.
0: Thank you. That's actually the first time I've heard of just in time content. So now I can't wait to read more about that. (laughs) All right, Casey, where can um, somebody find you if they would like to learn more or schedule themselves for an audit?
1: Yeah, you can uh, just type in Casey Marquis into Google. I I basically killed all the other Casey Marquis in the world. Uh, It's just (laughs) me. The first 10, 15 pages. You can find my site MediaWise. You can go to the Contact Me page. Um, I'm opening my audit schedule again on April the 1st. I April second, uh, yeah, April yeah, April second for everyone on this call. Yeah, and uh, I do I do usually have a wait, so I'm like for example, if I open the, the calendar in April, I'll be booking for August. So that's I know a lot of people are like, I can't believe that, but yeah, that's that's the yeah. case. I can only do so many audits in a week, uh, and then you know just look for these top hat rank webinars. I cannot stress those mm-hmm. enough. We've I've been very fortunate to do those with Andrew Wilder of NerdPress and Arsene Rabinovich at TopHatRank.com, along with Ashley Segura over there. And they are just packed full of the best information you're ever going to need. The one that we recently did on, on busting and demystifying myths for SEO, incredible. It's, mm-hmm. I think you guys are going to get a lot out of that. We cover another one on specifically on the core web vitals. We just had one that we completed on link building, very well-received. Those are all free. And our goal is to give you as much free advice as you can to help you make these decisions. I, The best advice we can do is that the more free advice we push out there, the more we can kind of unwind some of these poor herd mentality practices we've been <sighs> seeing over and over again. Hopefully that's helpful for you.
0: And, and you guys answer one of the things that I thought was really awesome is that you answer all the questions. If you guys didn't get to them during the webinar, yep. then you you or someone else goes back through and answers all of them and sends them out with that like week later email.
1: Yeah, that's correct. So the link building webinar, you know, we'll have the live call usually on a Wednesday. And by the following Monday, the entire transcript, the video recording, and all the questions that we've answered will be live on the site. So just go to talkoutrank.com, look at the seminars those webinars are there. Lots of information. I know people are just floored. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that that's the case. And, you know, just educate yourself a little bit because there's a lot of free information. That's my goal is to try to do podcasts like this, free information, helpfully separate kind of the, you know, the truths from the the misconceptions and and see how that goes.
0: Well, thank you for doing it. Thank you uh, on behalf of all the other food bloggers for putting that free stuff out there so that we can get it right.
1: Well, All right, I really, well, I appreciate it, Lauren. Thanks so much for having me and, and happy early Easter for you.
0: Thanks. Same to you, Casey.
1: Yeah. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Mind Over Blog podcast. Don't forget, if you love this episode, to leave us a review and then tag me on Instagram at mindoverblog. Share it in your stories. I'd love to know what you liked the most about this episode. Until the next time, have a great day.